You know, we import eucalyptus oil from Israel. <laughs> Genius. We don't have enough here. This, this is why <laughs> our civilization is going to collapse. Because <laughs> of that kind of shit. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's. One of vodka. Half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Daniel Craig. Because he's a regular person, like you or I. Oh, DC. If he was in, in the room, way? he would take up less, like, less room than I think he would. I don't know. Because, like, if he was like in the room, he would sit would... on a chair just like you or I and take up the same amount of space that we take up. But it would feel as though there's not enough space in this room for Daniel Craig. Have you ever met a really famous person? I wouldn't say really famous, no. No, I don't think I've ever met a really... Or even just seen, like, on the street, a really famous person. The closest is meeting the angels. But they're regular dudes, even in their actual life. The angels. Have you not heard of the band The Angels? Uh, No. I'm going to say no. Okay. You should um, educate yourself on Australian pub rock of the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. Okay. Well, so I take it from context clues that, yes, you haven't met anyone that famous. (laughs) Oh. Burn Notice, Australian pub rock of the 80s. Sorry to the angels who are fantastic and we respect you. And I'm sure would love to have met Daniel Craig as well. Now... We'll do an Angels filmography oh. podcast next. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do after this. So I'll... But yeah, you know, he would take up more space. It would feel like we require more space to fit like, Daniel Craig it's into ins- this room. It's insane to think that all it would take for Daniel Craig to be here would just be a third chair on the third <laughs> side of the table. Like, that's not enough. No. Wouldn't you have to create some sort of dais? <laughs> <laughs> he needs... Or- uh, some sort a of raised, of some a kind. raised platform on which you, so yeah we'd have to so be he could below sit there him and his attendants can sit around him <laughs> to bring him the things he needs. You can't, yeah, man, that's your chair. Imagine it, and if because I have the good chair, and if he had just another chair like the chair you're on, like yeah, he, he'd have it would to, be so he I'd would have, have to be in your chair, or I'd have to buy better chairs. <laughs> well, if Daniel was coming and we knew about it, we would, I'd I'd splash out on some better chairs. Yeah, but there are other. People you would call famous who don't have that sort of prestige as Daniel Craig. You reckon? Like who? I do. Like Josh Radner. If Josh Radner yeah. was here, oh, yeah. we'd just be broing out. Yeah. We'd just bro out because he seems really normal and cool. Yeah. Well, that's the role he plays in the culture. as exactly. relatable sitcom guy. Yeah. Not the epitome but of like, invincible masculinity. Well, yeah. But see, I think you could have um, Hugh Jackman and just bro out. But is that the Australian in Hugh Jackman? I see. I, I don't know. I think Hugh Jackman would also he would he, he would prefer that. But so would Daniel Craig. Like definitely, Daniel Craig definitely. would just want to bro out. Yeah, it's one of the. Main and I reasons. mean, like after fifteen minutes, I'm sure we could bro out, Danny. That's one of the main reasons we'd all get along so well. We would. Because we all have the same chiseled good looks. Yeah, we'd have, we'd have that to talk about, wouldn't we? Yeah. We, we could just like, sit hey around man. and be like, oh, how, how much of a burden is it being this handsome? 
right? You can't just like you can't just like go out for brunch. Everyone's just like, wow. Do you just get recognized all the time? Because we guys. do. Yeah. I don't know if you know about this, Daniel, but sometimes when we go in public, people we, recognize us. We get recognized as you. <laughs> people are like, if we went out, people are like, is that three Daniel Gregs over there? Is this Sam's dream from Dan- the previous episode? Daniel, you probably don't go through this, but we have a certain following. And mm, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but we have a patron. <laughs> And they're the person listening a to this. Pa- we have a patron. Big shout out. <laughs> I'm liking that. I'm in, I'm, I feel much more relaxed on these Patreon episodes. Because just, it's there just is chill. a patron? It, well, I, you, someone's listening, but not many people. And so it's just chill. I feel chill about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess... I often feel chill about what we do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no reason not to feel chill. I felt a little bit less chill because, and it's part of the reason I suggested you come over today, is that I kind of realized how little time we have if we want to get all of this done by the time No Time to Die comes out. Well, how many films have we got left? So, well, I'll tell you what, so we can announce special announcement to Patreon listeners <laughs> that we want to do a diehard review for our 50th episode. Mm. Right. If we include that, and I am including in this list, um, like the most marginal ones are The Force Awakens and the One Life documentary that Daniel Craig narrates, okay? And the one where it's, it's an anthology of 10-minute long movies and he's only in one of them. But if we include all those, that's 27 movies <laughs> left to go before No Time to Die. Not including this Patreon shit, not including the TV movies or anything. Okay. And what? And I, in my heart, like sixteenth of November felt like a long time away. Um. It and it's it's twenty weeks. <laughs> so we got to do two week episodes. We basically two episode weeks. We need to be churning out two two episodes a week, not including Patreon. <laughs> Like most weeks from now on. <laughs> do you feel as though we can manage that? I can think of I several like weeks we in can. there where we won't be able to do that. Dude, I'm getting married one of those <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I'm getting legit married. So I guess we could, so welcome to on on mic production meeting. So I'm I'm <laughs> on mic production meeting. On mic production meeting. I liked it. Yeah. Just came up with that <laughs> off the dome. So, uh, yeah. And we should say, because I know our Patreon audience are very invested in our friends in the North. Yes. Uh, I've had some setbacks with it. We The DVD didn't arrive. I had to, I got it refunded. They'd never even sent it. Oh, what? I've ordered another one, and it's coming from within Australia. So I feel very confident about that, because COVID is fucking with all the postage stuff. Yes. There's other things that just haven't turned up, and I've messaged them, and they're like, COVID, dot, dot, dot. Just, even though we said that's the data will definitely be there, but I give it another couple of weeks. So I'm still waiting on a couple of things. Our friends and all have been reordered, so I'm still hoping that'll that'll come back. So this, this will be coming out, this, this one we're doing right now will come out on the 13th. And then if we do Patreon episodes every two weeks, every two weeks, that lines up perfectly with No Time to Die in November. <laughs> How many Patreon episodes are there going to be? Um, so if we did... I didn't know we'd done that many TV movies. I thought there was only like five. 
Sam's counting. Not include not including this one. There's eight. Okay. So there's eight left. All before good movies started. Uh, pretty much. Some of the later ones. Not are... that this wasn't a great movie. No. Some of some of them are surprisingly late. And the, the last one is Archangel, which is just before Casino Royale. So they are all up to that 2005 okay. era. But straight after Bond, he's like, nah, after that, can't do it. Not yeah. theater, not theatrical. So I was broke. You ain't going back to no BBC shit. DC out. Yeah. I'm James Motherfuckers. Bond, bruh. <laughs> you know what you can call me? Daniel Craig. Mr. Craig to you. Pleb. So, welcome to Exceptional Thieves. It's a podcast where Isaac and I review and rewrite movies. I'm Sam. And I am Isaac. And this is our second Patreon-only episode of Craigslist. Sweet. Where we're watching all of Daniel Craig's movies in the lead-up to the release of his final Bond movie, No Time to Die, in November, November 16th. That date's been moving around a little bit. My other real concern is we're going to, like, haul ass to watch all of these movies in a way that's going to become increasingly burdensome over the coming months <laughs> and less, like, fun and spontaneous. And you don't want it to get really chorish and then get to watch No Time to Die and it not, not be fun? No, I, I don't think there's any chance of that because okay. I'll be so revved up by then. <laughs> what I'm worried about is we are going to churn through these movies at top speed and then they're going to delay the release. Because <laughs> who like it's all well? St- they'd have to announce that a, at least a few weeks beforehand. I know, and if they do, we are gonna chill out. Like <laughs> the amount we will power down at that moment will be ridiculous. Um. So yeah, so here we are. So that's why we're, <laughs> that's why you were like, I'm pretty busy this week. I was like, Isaac, we need to do something. We got to do Patreon. We got to do something. We cannot let a week go by. Um. So, yeah, so that's fine. That, that'll all be fine. You know what I wondered? Are we allowed to call this Craigslist? It's a, there's a space. Yeah, that's that, fine. It's Craigslist. It? It's not Craigslist because we technically make money from it now. <laughs> but <laughs> Which I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure complicates the web, everything. The website and/or any under, underlings of that is Craigslist or one word. If Craigslist like sued us. I would love that. <laughs> that would be it's publicity. The funniest publicity. thing. There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> if you know Craigslist, let them know. See if it annoys them. <laughs> if you know Craigslist, have you ever met anyone who sold something on Craigslist? Let them know. Have you ever used Craigslist? I don't, you, can you, you use it, it in Australia? I don't know. It's Gumtree. It is just Gumtree, it's isn't it? It's just Gumtree. I just know of it through like American television. Yeah, exactly. But they have Gumtree. That, that's what's weird about it. it they is. have everything, though. It's also weird that they have Gumtree when they don't have gum trees. True. You know, we import eucalyptus oil from Israel. <laughs> Genius. We don't have enough here. This, this is why <laughs> our civilization is going to collapse. Because <laughs> of that kind of shit. Uh, okay. All right. So... What are we watching? We today? don't have to fuck around for that long, do we? We don't. We don't. Well, we can, but we don't have to. We can. You all right? You good? I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Been working. Yeah. yeah. Saving every day. Yeah. Working from home. Yeah. Got to. Same old, same old. Just what have you been up to? Looking for anything to take your mind off. The non-existent. The hopeless emptiness. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Just just. Working on other on, on just other shit and stuff. Cool, cool, cool. You been writing lots? A bit. Okay. 
I've been writing new songs. Doing, I'm doing stand-up in a couple of weeks. That's yeah. what's exciting. Doing, getting back on stage for the first time Dude. since January. <laughs> February? Probably February. It would have been Feb. But yeah. Leading into March when one of the gigs gets cancelled. You're like, mm. well, Yeah, shit. I think yeah, Feb was probably the, from the last one. It's funny, I remember pulling out of gigs at the start of it before everything closed down. But Ooh. when they were like... We should close down, but stuff hadn't closed down. Stuff was still going on. I remember. And you're like, nah, I'm not I'm, coming. I'm just trying to flatten this curve. <laughs> but now we're all bored of that. We're just going to get out there. It's going to be fun. Yeah, just keep that going. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting because, as I was saying, only every gig can only have 20 people in it. Well, hopefully those distance. 20 people are super on board with comedy. And hopefully you the comedy so. is on board with those people. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to do it because we're Queensland. Queensland knows what they're doing. Victoria. Queensland is also very more, a lot more spread out than Victoria. No, it's because we're just better. Oh, okay. Don't yes. bring it into that. Yes. Yeah. Better. Also, like, better. What do we watch today, Sam? We're going to get straight in? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want, don't want to do a reading? A secret reading? Oh, um... I do, I, I do have I do have some readings, but I think I'm going to save them for the for the the mass audience episodes. Oh, definitely mass you know? audience. Um, so today we're talking about Genghis Khan, a BBC television movie released in 1993. And I've looked into this a little bit, and I still do not understand the name. Neither I Cohen, do I. Or Cohen, as he's referred as to in the movie, the character's as he's pronounced. Uh, I don't know where the Genghis, Genghis comes from. Um, based on a book, the the Dance of Genghis Khan, okay. by uh, Romain Gary, as we'd say in Australia, or he's French, that's so probably Romain Cahy, uh, <laughs> a guy who. <laughs> Was, oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, a French guy who was a, a soldier of some kind in uh, World War Two, and then wrote a lot of uh, novels and things af- after the war. Okay. Um, what, what, it doesn't have a massive online presence. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what, this is the only thing I'll refer to from his online presence, which is that he, he wrote and directed a couple of movies. Ooh. Very Only a couple. And one of them came out in 1971, and it's called Kill, 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 Kill. Four kills. <laughs> with exclamation marks. What was and, it about? Well, I don't know. Okay. It has a Wikipedia page, <laughs> and it doesn't say what it was about. But there is a section that says reception. And the only thing that says is the Los Angeles Times called it totally ludicrous. <laughs> And that's not any comment on the value of Romain Gary's body of work. It's just funny that that's what survives through the internet, you know? Because <laughs> um, he wrote a huge, huge amount of stuff. And a lot of it, I think, very sort of valid and relevant. Mm. Um, but this version of Genghis Khan was, as we said, made by the BBC, starring Robert Lindsay. Who of- people will know from. Uh, my family, I guess, is what I most know him from. Okay. Um, there was another TV show where it's the war. What is it? He's very familiar. Come on now. Hogan's Heroes. No. Dad's Army. No, no but right ballpark. I'm scrolling. 
I'm scrolling. The greatest game. I'm scrolling. Mash. I'm still scrolling. Citizen Smith. Definitely never heard of that. Yeah, well, it was like the 70s, but it was still a big <laughs> deal. So that's what he was... That and my family... Okay, I've seen him in for. films, though. But yeah, like British comedic actor. Someone who, like, you feel like has been in a Richard Curtis movie, but actually never has. Yeah, he guy. looks exactly like just the dude who played Inspector Clouseau. Oh. And very good. Very good. Very good. Hilarious. Start off, not a terrible film. Not a terrible film. Not a terrible film. Given what it is trying to do, and it exists entirely suspended above a precipice of awfulness, yeah. the fact that it's not awful is an amazing achievement. Uh, Anthony Sher plays Genghis Khan, who's someone I've never heard of, but he's a very big sort of Shakespearean actor. And I think that okay. really came across in the sort of sort of effortless power of his performance. And the only other person in it I really know is Diana Rigg. Mostly from Game of Thrones, but that's just because I have, I have trash Thrones. knowledge. Yeah, there wasn't very many people that were recognisable. And most importantly, Daniel Craig. <sighs> DC! Uh, so, overview. Do I have a plot summary here? Because that's the fun thing we do on these episodes, we just read the plot summary. And then just talk about it instead of going through... About the plot summary. Okay, do you want to hear the plot summary on IMDb? I would love to know how accurate it is. A former SSS officer is haunted by the ghost of a man he murdered during World War II. Is that it? That's the whole thing. Well, it's it's quite on the, on, on, on the spot. So that's not helping us, but yes, it is. So That does happen in the film. Robert Lindsay is a former SS officer who... With a British accent. With a, like... 10% German accent sometimes. It's unclear. When he says over-the-top German words, there's a German accent. Well, you can't say German words in a non-German exactly. accent. Exactly. Schadenfreude. Doesn't, doesn't work. Schadenfreude! Yeah. It just comes out, you know? <laughs> you feel authoritarian when you say it. We're, sorry, Germany. We're going to make fun of you for Nazism a few times here. I think it's still within the time. It's still. I'm, I've covered this before on this podcast. A hundred years. <laughs> you, we make fun of you for a hundred years. And then after that, after okay. that, we tone it down a little bit, but it's still kind of all right. Um, you're, just, you're just okay to be offended by it. Yeah. Yeah. You can be like, oh, and we can be like, okay. It just softens the edge a little <laughs> bit. So it's the whole thing is in Germany and German and everything. And Robert Lindsay is a someone who was an SS officer during the war doing... And, like, the worst version of that. Yeah. Like, the worst thing you could be whilst being an SS officer. Just machine-gunning civilians. Into mass graves. And he manages to sort of slip through the process of denazification afterwards. Because his war record sort of gets lost in the mix. Yeah. So no one really knows he was an SS officer. So now he's just a police commissioner in this German town in the 50s. And we sort of don't really talk about that. I quite like that they called it denazification at the time. Mm. But that that just feels like something we'd call it. Yeah, it it feels like, like that's the, that's what you would give it in history classes. Kind this of, was what kind of as a joke, like the de- <laughs> we went to denazify, but back then they're like, no, we really need to denazify. <laughs> There's no other word for this. We need to get rid of you guys. Um, and the premise of the story is. 
in the process of this sort of mechanized, mindless destruction of human life, there was one time when, and it depicts it quite faithfully in the movie, as it, like it quite sort of solemnly depicts this one scene of the horror of the yeah. Holocaust, where they have lined these Jewish people up to be machine gunned just into this mass grave. And one of them uh, says, I suppose like you can kiss my ass. He yells, kiss my ass. He says it in, in Yiddish. In Yiddish. And that's He's the, the only man to turn around and face down the guns. Yeah. yeah. And this sticks with uh, Robert Lindsay's character. And I was reading a bit about the books. I think the, I th- I think the book is better than the movie because the this just seems like something that's going to be able to be much more softened and subtle in novel form. I feel than as in though the book form. might not be a um, comedy as much as the movie is attempting. I th- I think I think it is, and I th- but I think on the page you can blend these things together much more effectively. Like my hot take is, why the hell would you make a movie? Like yes, this? there's no reason to turn <laughs> this into a film. It's a very complex thing the book is trying to do, and it would be mad maddeningly difficult to. Transfer faithfully that and meaningfully adapted to film. Yeah, I get that with a lot of books. Um, but anyway, anyway, in the in the book, um, Robert Lindsay's character is is very aff- affected by this. He like goes down into the grave and like tries to find identification of that guy, so he finds out what his name was. Mm. So that's well, that's all in his head, and so the turning point being. Um, and I think it's a sort of something that uh, a refrain that's repeated in the book that you know there's no there's no real difference in your mind between six million deaths and sixty million. Like you you don't feel that proportionally, but if you know the name and the face of and the personality of one person who's been killed, that sticks with you. That affects you much more. Mm. And so the Jewish guy who played by Anthony Sher who. Cone. <laughs> I was like, what's that guy's name? His soul sort of inhabits Robert Lindsay at that point mm. in the book and is with him for, from then on and sees whatever he's doing. Yeah. And I get the impression the book is kind of written from his perspective. From Cohen's perspective? Yeah. Okay. Um, as, which, so, which is obviously a very strange and weird idea. It is weird to write the, from the perspective of the dead. But it made me think that this is something that's going to work much more, much better in a book. And it put me in mind of, because like the subject matter, something like The Book Thief, mm. from written from the perspective of death. And I haven't seen the movie of that. But it's not bad, actually. That's like a, a mental idea, mm. but it just works so well in that novel. And so I could imagine how that would work well in the book of this. But there's no real sense of that in this movie. It's all from the perspective of uh, Robert Lindsay. Yes. As the guy who is who really seems like is annoyed that he can't be a Nazi anymore. A little bit, I think. It, I think it came across a little bit that he was sort of like ready to move on, and like not. I don't know. Not, he didn't miss it at the start, but then when he got that chance to wear the wear the wear the uniform, mm. it was like fired it up again for yeah. him, and that. Because that's what triggers the the that's what triggers his visions appearance of, of Cone of Cone while he's trying to bone yeah. this Baroness. Yeah, so he lives in this like little sort of German town, I guess, 
And they're opening a new Civic Center. Yep. Which I guess was a thing. And through the announcement of the Civic Center and all its facilities, they have a hall there, yet their opening is taking place next to the pool. Where they're all sitting watching <laughs> the swimming pool. I guess they just put a lot of effort into their synchronized swimming and they wanted it to be recognized. So, And it was. You can't fault them for that. Well, it's synchronized swimming. Yeah, how hard can it be? It's swimming. How do you get into that? I don't know. How do you think, how do you tell yourself, I'm a boring person? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I want to do. I've never known anyone or known anyone who knows anyone, to my knowledge, that has had anything to do with synchronized. Is it a dead art form? Is it still out there? I'm pretty sure it's still at the Olympics. I I think you compete in synchronized swimming. Wow. At the Olympics. Small pool. (laughs) <laughs> Apparently there's a lot <laughs> for we them should, to go to the Olympics. We should get into it and just dominate. You know, there's probably an Australian team and yeah. they're probably really good at what I they I reckon do. we could do it. You reckon? I reckon a few weeks of training. <laughs> we'll make a documentary out of it. There probably is already a documentary about it. It'd be so hard to film. You have to have waterproof cameras and stuff. It'd be expensive. That's not that hard, actually. There's waterproof phones. You get just, we'll just get like two GoPros. GoPros. Just two GoPros. Yeah. Yeah. You need those. You need two angles on all shots. Just you and me. We'll call it one take. Just you and me trying to beat the official Olympic team <laughs> trying for to, like tryouts for the Olympics. To qualify for the Olympics. That's the whole thing. It's not yeah. about going to the Olympics. We just want to qualify. Yeah. The other team has eight people. <laughs> it's you and me. No, we can do it. We got this. Those other six people would hold us back. <laughs> so they're doing synchronized swimming and whatever. And That's really not part of the story, but we spoke about it for five minutes. <laughs> Diana Rigg is there, and she's a baroness of some kind. Yeah. Which is whatever, whatever. Aristocracy. Yes. And she's there to unveil the dedication plaque of and the Civic Center. I really like this. <laughs> so she, she pulls the like, cord to open the curtain and while the dude's... To take the photo, and she stands directly in front of the plaque, and he snaps a picture of her as she leans in. And also, the curtain obscuring the plaque opens about three inches, <laughs> and everyone's taking photos like shoo. It's like the tiniest little. They would have had to. Someone would have had to sew a curtain small <laughs> enough specifically to hang in front of the plaque. Yeah. What else are you going to do in a small German town but sew curtains? Didn't get a sense and make liver. I didn't get a sense there was sandwiches. much to do there. I feel like when all these murders, spoiler alert, start happening, they would have it would have been have been pretty exciting. For me, that took a massive turn in the film when it started to be about murders. When there's also like a, a police thriller <laughs> plotline. Yeah. Um <laughs> Robert Lindsay and Diana Riggs are down next to each other. They start flirting and they both start hinting about how secretly Nazi they both still are, about how he likes Wagner and whatever. And she invites him back to her big house. And she says, other people are coming, but no one is. And it's just, and that was quite funny as well. That was like, cool. Cuts to him, he's like, so no one else is coming? <laughs> and then... They get, talking, yeah, they get talking about the old days, Nazis, yep. how cool was all of that. God, you know, if only. And then her husband died in the war, was also a total Nazi. Yep. And she tells him to go into this secret cupboard where she still has his uniform. And she tells him to put it on. And he does this while breathing really heavily. They are, he's, they are both clearly very aroused by even just the thought of Nazism, <laughs> which is unsettling. And 
Yeah, and it's all kind of and it's kind of like tongue in cheek, sort of farcical. Yeah. But this is where it, it's difficult to know where to feel the tone. The tone of this movie <laughs> is clearly the biggest challenge. Because how do you do... I, I don't want to say it's a misstep. A, like a kooky ghost town style <laughs> guy being haunted, no one else can see it. Overlaying against the abject and deeply real horror of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. That's the line. That's the incredibly ambitious line this the movie is trying to walk. And it weirdly kind of did it yeah i don't think it, i don't think there were parts where it didn't work that's the weirdest thing about it is that <laughs> it actually kind of worked yeah i think now you do a little bit like if it was filmed now which it wouldn't be which it definitely wouldn't be you do some more cliche things of people noticing him interacting with an invisible person yeah, I think, and it, him trying to hide the fact because he in no way does he try to hide the fact that he's interacting with an invisible person. Yeah. So, just in case anyone listening hasn't seen, <laughs> for clarity, hey, we, spoilers. We had to order the DVD on eBay. It turns up entirely in German. <laughs> Everything on the box is German. We can't read anything. We had to interpret the German DVD menu to figure out how to turn the German dubbing off. To put it back into English. This was made by the BBC. And it is only available in German dubbed language now. <laughs> is that worrying? That's, I don't know why. It's such a great movie. Um, so, but we should say for anyone who hasn't seen Gangs Cone. So, they, so he puts the uniform on. Puts the uniform on. They almost which, have sex. Which I'll say is weird it's weird to do even if your dead husband wasn't a Nazi. Like, if you're just... If your dead husband you wasn't in any military at all... any uniform... And you're about to bang someone like, and you want him to wear it. Could you put on my deceased husband's military uniform? I'm already a pass. If it's like, oh, by the way, he was also in the SS. That's an even harder pass. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all very weird. Um, I'm going to just leave. And they are about to do it. And then the apparition of Cohen, the Appears guy who in the told mirror. him to kiss his ass before being shot back at Dachau, I believe, appears and really ruins the mood. He can't go through with it and he books it. And his way of booking it is to just leave whilst still wearing the SS uniform. Yeah, out into this German town in the 50s when it's not cool anymore. It is not cool. And... He gets outside the door and can't get back in when he realizes that he's wearing the uniform. And his first thought is not to just take the jacket off. No, it is a somewhat artificially constructed Because you could just situation. leave your pants and suspenders and boots. I'm sure people could forgive pants, suspenders and boots. Yeah. Take the jacket off, put it over your head, inside out. Then all anyone knows is fucking weirdo with an inside out jacket on his head. True. They don't know it's, hey, someone looks just like the police commissioner, dressed like Hitler. I had always wondered why he kept that Hitler moustache. Because <laughs> Robert Lindsay does have a Hitler moustache throughout this movie. It's a little bit wider than a Hitler moustache, but it's, it's almost a Hitler moustache. not mustache. wide enough, though, is it? Like, I would, <laughs> it's I would, not a full moustache. If I was part of the denazification committee, <laughs> I would look askance like, at that. I, like, I want you to move that thing. 
much, much bigger or not at all. Those are your two <laughs> options, okay? If it has handlebars, you're good. Yeah, I want it I want it I want the curve to be below the corner of your mouth <laughs> or clean. Or touching your ears. Okay. Rule rule one, no swastikas. These are the denazification rules. Rule yep. one, no swastikas. Rule two, no chaplains. Rule three <laughs> No I don't know. No Nazi shit. That's what <laughs> just and those rule number three is just don't be a Nazi. Rule number three is don't be a Nazi. Rule number four is just refer to the first three rules. I feel like we covered it. <laughs> if something reminds you of being a Nazi, don't do that thing. Don't do that thing. Don't do that thing. No, just walk away. Yeah. If 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 someone says put this uniform on and have sex with me. Just walk away. Yeah. If fondly remembering your years of being a Nazi is still profoundly arousing, can just keep that to yourself. Don't <laughs> do it. Don't. <laughs> no. Probably like maybe see a therapist. Stop thinking that. Yeah. 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 But but that's that's hard. So try and <laughs> you know seek help. Seek help. It's out there for you. Yeah. Help yeah. is out there. Yeah. But don't tell us you're seeking that help because then we'll know you're a Nazi and you're out. Yeah. Do you not? Do Nazification would be hard, wouldn't it? To make people stop being Nazi. Yeah. Like if, like if everyone, like if yesterday everyone was a Nazi, and then oh shit, they lost. Now we have to make sure no one is. That would be really difficult. It would be really difficult. I support the endeavor. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm just saying. But that's the thing. If they'd won, I knew we were going to get into weird territory with this. If they'd won. Yeah. Would we all now have to be Nazi? Well, or do you think well, within yeah. the, the like pretty much straight after they won there would have been mass amounts of resistance fighting continuously and that would not be a thing that ends. I don't know. This is a very big counterfactual you're trying to run on history. <laughs> what yeah. if the Nazis had won? There are TV series about this. And what would it be like? Man in the High Castle. That's about if the, is Nazis, that if the Nazis, won. Nazis had won. Yeah. Oh. But set now. Oh, they'd be impossible. I know. You can't you can't it's do It's weird to imagine that shit. You can't do if the Nazis had won seventy years later. <laughs> because it's it wouldn't nothing. He manages to get home. Only a few prominent people in the village see that he was dressed as an SS person. <laughs> A doctor, the mayor's the wife, mayor. <laughs> and some other person. He gets into his house. Cone is there. And um, they meet like Romeo and Juliet through a fish tank, which I quite like. I like that the fish tank was clearly made in the 90s, not the 50s. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Well, old, so e was old eagle eye. a lot of here. the interiors of this. They filmed it in a nice little German town, so the outside looked nice. And Yeah, the external was all very yeah. quaint, but... um. Okay, well, fair enough. And Loved it. And so then Cohen is sort of revealing his hand where he's saying, I've always been with you. Yes. And I think, whilst strangely, from our perspective, this film was never radically awful, mm -hmm. the weak point was their relationship. The articulation of... The articula I'm not sure whether we were meant to think Cohen is in his mind or it does 
have an existence as a ghost. Even at the end, yes. Living it's... out his life. Um, but because... what if, if he is still existing as a kind of ghost, because we didn't say, we meet, the film begins with him in, I guess, like 1930s Germany, and he's performing, and he's, he's a comedian. He's a sort of vaudeville, ventriloquist act, comedian person, and he's getting the shit beaten out of him outside of the club by some anti-Semitic people. Yep. And that's sort of our introduction in, in, into the world. So, And I think that's important because it's sort of setting this baseline of like comedy and vaudeville as the way in which we're going to approach this horrifying subject. Yeah. And, he main, and he maintains that sort of comedian aspect in the way he appears to Robert Lindsay throughout the movie. And there were a few lines spoken between them that I thought were really powerful, but they just didn't really get a chance to be fully expressed. And it might just be a timing thing. Like, this is only 80 minutes long. It felt a lot longer, though. It didn't. And that, I think, comes across just because the scenes are very short. The scenes are kind of short, but I would not have complained about it being a few minutes longer. No. And having some meteor dialogue scenes between the two of them about what's going on because their relationship is very complicated an insanely complex thing to Mm. put on screen this is the ghost of a jewish concentration camp uh person who was executed by the nazis and the nazi officer who did it what 10 15 years later 16 years later yeah And in a way, that could be a really fascinating thing to observe. Mm. But they do it in a kind of sort of broad comedic way. Yes. Which can have meaning as well. But the the dialogue was kind of, was pretty sort of breezy about it the whole time. Which is an understandable impulse. And I think something that could have made the film a little bit better is to have the Cohen character show... A different emotion other than either blank faced or comedic there was no part yeah. where he got angry yeah at all and i guess that that can be a very like a like a something they've done on purpose like a conscious yeah. decision but that yeah. would have been wouldn't would have been a nice addition for a scene to have him actually yell at the police commissioner yeah i guess it's I think what feels strange about it is there's Cohen and the police commissioner and whatever it is in the book, in the movie, the whole thing is from the police commissioner's perspective Mm -hmm. and the police commissioner is the one who has an arc. Cohen has no arc after he comes back. And I think, and maybe it's there in the book, but I think that is something that we're missing. missing. It's just that, you know, the old... Like a a ghost comes back because they need something or want something or they need something resolved, and I didn't get the sense that he got anything resolved from what happened. No, it just um, the police commissioner's realization of being turned into a Jew. Well, yeah, it's kind of confusing what's actually happening to him because but it's just basically him being like, "Oh, Nazism was bad." Yeah, you know, and that's fine as a storyline, but it is. But I don't know if that's the storyline of turning him into a Jew. I was I was confused made by sense. that. So yeah, so throughout the movie, he's sort of encouraged through 
Cohen's prompting. He's eating Jewish foods. He's saying he Jewish starts slang. Using sort of Yiddish slang like stup in for sex. He goes and to like that. Uh, synagogue. So, oh, that I, I thought that in a slum, I liked that scene. Though. I liked it, and I think it's like an like almost an immeasurably powerful scene in a slightly different film. kind of movie. If you um, had a film of your ex-Nazi officer who in secret is still super keen on it, yeah. then <laughs> then starts being haunted. Low-key. Still love that shit. Oh, haunted oh. by the ghost of somebody he murdered. Mm. That drama film could be so intense to see his, yeah. well, fixing of himself yeah. to become and a th- human. And if you're just committed to that being a drama movie then that drama could be effectively undercut by the fact that it's a ghost of a vaudeville comedian. Exactly. You know, that would be a strong contrast against the tone of what's actually going on here. Yes. Whereas this would have made the tone of what's actually going on comedic, and then the seriousness of what's actually going on sort of felt like an afterthought on top of it. Well, of everyone else, everyone else in the film, apart from the two of them, is in, and maybe baroness is in a dramatic film so like dc yeah. when he comes in he's doing proper dc acting yeah Every, I feel like, like all like of he's the people who slight... witness murders he could still be in a sort of comedic could be but i think genre. he comes across very well he's as... playing it very straight yes yeah um everyone like everyone yeah. plays it quite straight like... except for the two of them and i think if the police commissioner played it straight for the whole thing and the film was a drama yeah. and just had cohen being the comedian that cohen was and yeah. then the moments where the police commissioner does do the comedy bits mm. they would mean more because you can clearly see that it is he's cohen's influence yeah and it's him go- and it's him going against how he normally behaves and what his yeah. life is normally like whereas Whereas that him scene at the start in where the he SS outfit and hides himself with daisies yeah, like, and stands in front of an old woman to hide. Yeah, so his sort of he's got his whole life has a kind of slapstick quality to it. Did you know before Cohen even gets involved? When the camera angle is going across the top of the buildings and people are opening their windows to look at him. I'm pretty sure that window is the same window, like oh, several times that. that a different person looks out of. <laughs> Uh, Great. So, well, we're not, we're not getting up into multiple houses. Let's just no. pan across the same house. Put <laughs> you different have access curtains. to this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because in a way, like it's crazy to think about what's actually going on, and I feel like pretty unqualified to comment on whether it could be appropriate or not to oh, have yes. a movie where a a Jewish person who's killed in the Holocaust really kind of basically work trying she he because you think he's going to show up and he's going to torment robert Lindsay and sort of bring about his destruction yeah and he does in a way but it's also really blended with him bringing about robert Lindsay's redemption and they collaborate on problems they get along in multiple scenes <laughs> and are like joking with each other they see the humanity in one another and yeah, sure, that's great for Robert. Sure, it's nice. But it's great that for Robert Lindsay, who is Nazi, alive. This guy who's alive to realize the error of his ways. Meanwhile, this guy has already been murdered, along with, you know, like everyone he knew. Like that's a really sort of extreme thing to ask of <laughs> an audience to watch. Yeah, if you if you like, 
in a, it's it's un, it's uncomfortable in a way because the whole thing is structured around asking you to empathize with this Nazi. Hmm. And I think if you if to to criticize it, I don't feel it didn't feel like it really had a firm grip on what it was asking of you as an audience. No, I don't think it really knew how terrible that character really is. Yeah, like it like you because because you get sort of swept along in the sort of breezy sort of carry on camping BBC ness of the whole thing. Yes, like it's sort of like especially when it becomes just like a Miss Marple or whatever when people start getting <laughs> murdered. That's what I was so shocked you, when that became a thing. I'm like, that's not this movie. Yeah, and you lose track of. Hang on, there's not that much daylight, but like between this guy being like um, Ralph Fiennes from Schindler's List. <laughs> no, <know? laughs> no, not like, at all. That's basically who this guy is, and to ask an audience to be like, but hey, sixteen years down the line, I mean, you know. I mean, we're all humans, aren't we? Like, even though he still explicitly still wishes he was a Nazi, like, like there's it, it would be hard to imagine without having seen this any movie where that would leave your mind for a second. But mm. because it's Robert Lindsay and he's talking in an English accent and it's all sort of shot like Vicar of Dibley, you kind of forget so about the Naziness <laughs> of the whole thing. And I don't and I don't know how much of that is quote-unquote effective filmmaking and just sort of sleight of hand that kind of betrays the theme of or just the content of what's actually going on. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on. There is. (laughs) In this film. It Um, also... So much happens in the film. Yeah, we haven't gotten to any of it. Daniel Craig shows up. He's the deputy, basically. Yeah, and he's and he's great. He's oh, from the get go. He's in it the whole thing. He's a basically a bad guy again. I'm so happy that he got to be in it a lot, and I'm so happy that it looks like he's having a good time making this. Yeah, and I I like. I've seen Daniel Craig performances where he's just a little bit miscalibrated to mm-hmm. what the film is. I think in this, he is perfectly spot on. He's spot on every mm-hmm. scene. I'm like, yes, you get in a difficult context. <laughs> you are getting what it is your character needs to do in the scene mm-hmm. and you are nailing it a thousand percent. So I thought that was really cool. Um, great accent. Great accent. Great. <laughs> English, spot on accent. Great Daniel Craig accent. <laughs> My favorite one of the accents that he does, I have to say. Um, and yeah, and he's perfect for... But weirdly, he is not a Nazi. Yeah. And we are positioned to think he is the bad guy because he's trying to undermine the Nazi main character <laughs> being haunted by the concentration camp so victim. For the whole film, Daniel Craig is actually just a regular policeman he's who the, does his job. Who's like ambitious and wants Robert Lindsay's job, but is clearly a morally better person <laughs> than the secret Nazi. Um, the secret Nazi. That's a what? musical right there. The secret Nazi. Oh, uh, springtime uh, for Hitler. Uh, yeah, and I feel like the secret Nazi would just be like about someone now in Ohio. Oh, <laughs> that know? sucks. Because then you have to hate them. Yeah. You can't not. Because even like, if you make that into a comedy, you still hate them. I think we need to just be real careful with the Nazi comedies. <laughs> <laughs> like it's very hard to do right Nazi jokes Fine Yeah make fun of as many Nazis as you can Subtly imply that all Germans are kind of Nazis To your hearts <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Maybe not that. I can't. One of the things I liked about this movie, and I want to see more of, I'm sure it's out there, I just haven't seen it, is movies set in Germany after the war. Yeah. Like The like Reader. Like just after the war. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about The Reader is it's that. Like, I cannot, I cannot imagine a more awkward time and place to be than 1950s Germany. <laughs> Like, how do you get through the day? Like, what? Every, nobody speaks. No. Like, nobody speaks during the day. No. Hey, you just go into the office. Mm. Hey, can you oh. fill this? Yes, I can. Yeah, I'll fill yeah. out. Yep, what, speak, do you, speak. what do you need? Thanks for coming. Anything. Yeah, I'll see you later. I'll see you around. <laughs> can you make copies? Of- yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay, whatever you need. Thanks. It's fine. How was your weekend? Uh, nothing. What did you do? Nothing. Just nothing. Uh, nothing. I had sat. Do you do any group activities? No, no groups. I hate any groups. <laughs> Anything that a group of people do with like a singular vision, I I hate that. I just sit alone and just read esoteric things that no one else is into. Imagine first dates. <laughs> so what so, have you been up to lately? <laughs> where <are> you lo- <laughs> Where'd you go to oh, school? Oh. oh. Was it? What are your parents like? <laughs> Nazis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they were. were. Yeah, they were. Huh? They were Nazis. Mm. Nazis or dead. Those were your... That's your options. Well, it's not your options. Not your uh, there options. were people who were not Nazis. God. But Sorry. still a lot of those people you can hate. Apologies to any Germans who are also patrons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Cohen's sort of haunting him. He's, and he's getting to do these Yiddish things. They have to... And I don't know how much of this is Jewish food and how much of it is German food, but I did not like the look of any of it. I want those fish balls, though. Fish balls? I've had fish balls in my life, and they're not bad. I don't think I've ever had a fish ball. I could do myself with a fish ball right now. I don't want a fish ball. Don't Even if a food is in ball form, don't call it balls. (laughs) Come up with something. Like, there's a reason we came up with the delightful word dumpling. What about meatballs? That might be the one exception. Because you know that they're just meat. But don't think about it for too long. Even the phrase just meat. I think I think because meatballs, you don't really need to know what's in the meat of them. They're it's, just the the balls factor the, dulls down the meat factor. <laughs> <laughs> the ball is the significant aspect of it. Yeah, you're like, oh it's meatballs. Oh cool. Balls of meat. Cool, cool, cool. What yeah. meat? No 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 no. Meat yeah. 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 The strength of the word meat overpowers. Well, the strength of the, word, the, ball of the word ball overpowers the fact that you don't actually know what meat that is. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's a meatball. Yeah. Like, yeah. But turkey balls, you're like, well, the thing is, that's meat, just turkey. Meatballs comes in, it's like spaghetti and meatballs. Exactly. Like, oh, so with things. Context. A meatball sub. If you, if you, say, you wouldn't go somewhere like asking sub, for a fishball yeah. sub. Hi, I'd like a fishball sub, please. Well, you, you could potentially ask for a fishball sub. I don't want to go and ask for... A fish ball. <laughs> I'd like one. Could you take some of that fish, fish ball? Ball it up. <laughs> I'd like two fish balls, please. <laughs> uh, that's an, you two order fish balls and a corn dog. Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, arrange it that way. I would the like way a, you're thinking I, 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 in I your want, mind. I want a wrap sausage and fish balls. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, the dick meal. <laughs> I get on the mic. This we got is the a schlong dick box meal, number right thirteen. Here. Ah, <laughs> uh, German, bringing it back. <laughs> so, 
Um, do we have to go through the whole story? We're, do, we're doing a pretty good job of keeping this light, aren't we? Given the but do we have to go matter? through the whole story? I think no. there's just bits we can touch on. Yeah, okay. What else do you yeah. want to touch on? Um, the murders start. The we murders begin not long after the first vision and chat yeah. and meeting of Daniel Craig. And the beginning of the Yiddishness. The murders begin. So there's also a plot where someone that remains unclear at the end of the movie has stolen a bunch of knives from the local butcher who has a badass mustache. And an insane amount of big knives. That can just be stolen and he continues his job. But also, they're very pointy and sharp. Most butcher's knives that you see in the world are like... Cleavery. Exactly. That's what you would expect the butcher's knife to be, not... To cleft some meat in twain. Not stab-stab knives. Yeah. They're more, more like swing-swing knives. Yeah. You know? They're more like, yeah. They're more that slashing kind. They more like, like fi- yeah, filleting knives. Yeah. Anyway. So, has stolen a bunch of them. A bunch of them. A bunch? Uh, they because were like, at the start, you're like, oh, they stole like two or three of his knives. Oh, my God. Because this murderer was like, I'm going to stab people and I'm always going to leave the knife. That's going to be my thing. <laughs> well, he's going to get out of there real quick. And can I say, the murder plot is absolutely insane and impossible. It makes no sense. So what this murderer wants to do is is find people engaged in the act of coitus. (laughs) I was going to say coitus. (laughs) (laughs) And wait until they arrive at the station. (laughs) And at that moment, stab the gentleman from behind... Really precisely, so it goes into his heart. Sort of Jack the Ripper style, thus freezing the look of completion upon his face. In such a way that the partner engaged in the act never sees them. (laughs) And this is in people's homes. In in cars. In various places. And he gets away with it like 10 times. 16 by the end of it. (laughs) There are 16 murders. And this is Robert Lindsay's job to investigate, and he does an awful job. Nobody does a good job. Mainly because he's also having a mental breakdown. Because the first person they arrest is the butcher whose knives they were, obviously, and that's fine. Pretty good. Because the woman that was being having, having... Take your time. The woman... That was also Podcast participating in, in the in the coitus. Mm-hmm. Was the butcher's wife in the act of coitality? Yes, was the butcher's wife. Yeah. To which they're like, "Well, they're the butcher's knives." It's the, the butcher's, butcher's wife. I mean, I'm. I've played a few games of Cluedo in the past. That kind of makes sense. I think it might be the butcher. It might be that guy with that awesome mustache. Yeah. Turns out it's not the butcher. Yeah, <laughs> because he's like, my wife is sleeping with everybody. <laughs> And if I killed everyone she slept with, this town would be decimated, mate. <laughs> His words. His yeah. words. Pretty good. Pretty good comeback. That was actually a pretty cool twist as well. Mm. Um, also, is that just like a trope that German Germany has where in the 50s after the war, everybody was just sleeping with everybody? Because uh, the I mayor's wife was having sex with people. It's def- yes, the baroness just has sex with people. Everybody has sex with people. It's a very sexually charged little town. It seems that way. Yeah, full of full of sex and murder. Mm. This is um, basically Midsummer. This is the German version of Midsummer. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about Midsummer the movie, and they kept calling it Midsummer. 
<laughs> and I'm like, how about you go fuck yourselves with your midsummer? Midsummer. Like I Midsommar. get, I get it. Yeah, double double M A R, but midsummer. No, <laughs> midsummer. It's it does differentiate it from being midsummer. But it's although murders do happen in both midsummer and midsummer. Midsummer. <laughs> That's kind of addictive once you start saying it. It's I'm not going to gonna stop now. Midsummer. Midsummer. Sounds more mysterious. Where are you from? Midsummer. <laughs> How did you ever leave? <laughs> I let you have the whisper. I set the bear free. Midsummer. Callback. Callbacks. Forty percent of comedy. What do you think about? The movie Midsommar? No, we've done that. we've talked about and that. And might be able to go back. We know back. how much I don't like it. You listen to us talking with hundreds of people talking in the background <laughs> of a movie, of a cinema lobby. What do you think about the introduction of this murder plot, which entails like really graphic scenes of people getting stabbed, like people screaming? It's not graphic scenes of the stabbing. It's graphic scenes of... The woman screaming for way too long after the stabbing has taken place as she rubs yeah. blood on everything. Yeah. Clearly on purpose. And they're like having sex in the car and the guy just goes limp and his face smushes up against the window and we just look at that for a long period of time. Yeah. Like, you know, just thematically, aesthetically, how does that layer on top of the pretty dense amount of stuff we already have going on in this story? I think it's clearly not... not like fitting in with the tone of the film. I'm not really sure what it's trying it's to do. Like that murder mystery in a small German town. That's a different film. Well, it's very compelling. Yes. You're like, I wonder who did it. And I still wonder who did it. I wonder who the suspects are and how they got away with it. But And when it started happening, I thought, okay, this film's going to change. And in the process of solving this murder, this man is going to reflect on his past sins, make it up, like make amends with the ghost Mm. of his Jewish partner now and allow the Jewish partner to move on to the next place. Yeah. Because they, because yeah, because they almost become like buddy cops on the. There are parts of the thing where they, okay, cool, they're solving this murder together. Yeah, we're now Robert Lindsay and. Just to reiterate, the Jewish concentration camp victim that he ordered the killing of <laughs> collaborate on who the murderer could be and start getting With along quite outrageous well. outrageous consequences. <laughs> that he, he, he just arrests straight away the butcher. It was definitely the butcher. Maybe it wasn't. Ooh. Yeah, they who can arrest it? anyone. Yeah, cool. apparently you can just arrest people. Yeah, no evidence. Just who you think. Yeah. You just bring them in. <laughs> um so yeah i don't you would think it would be something like because th- if you do all of that and then the murders start what you now need to happen is somehow the uh ghost of Cohen helps him solve this murder yeah in a way that helps him resolve his nazism and helps Cohen resolve his, his unfinished business. His, as far as I would be concerned, completely irresolvable issues with what happened during his time on Earth. Yeah. Um, and it all ties up that way. 
instead, we have a much more kind of nihilistic story or just chaotic story where chaotic Robert Lindsay's character deteriorates further, ends up in a mental institution, gets electroconvulsive therapy, is discharged, and then they charge him with the murders. Because someone has planted the knives in his apartment. Yeah, but then that and all falls that apart. that scene makes it seem like Daniel Craig has done this. I was waiting for Daniel Craig's... It's probably because that's just who we're focused on. Go in on 1993, Daniel Craig, I was I was ready for him to be the villain. I was waiting for him to be more of a Nazi. Yeah, and well. I'm glad we didn't get it. You know, surprising change of pace for early career Daniel Craig <laughs> that is not... An evil Nazi. Or the villain of the film. Mm. Yeah. In any way, he's more of a slight really. antagonist for one scene. He's, he's and then an he gets a nice little seat. He gets to get Robert once, Lindsay's job. Once Robert Lindsay goes to the uh, asylum. But he, he's an antagonist for someone who we shouldn't like. Exactly. So he's, so he's our protagonist. Well, he's, the, he's just an agonist. He's the antagonist. He's an agonist, <laughs> to use a pharmacological term. Um, but there's, so there's there's other things we should hit because there's a few things that I thought hinted at the kind of story we could have been getting. So there's one scene where Cohen and what's Robert Lindsay's character's name? Schatz, Commissioner Schatz, Schmarchen, Schnarchen, Schleigen, El German, El Germo. Let's call him X Nats. Because he is. Well, I'll be there soon. Okay. Just. SS Police Commish. Otto Schatz. Otto Schatz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Otto. I mean, my German pronunciation isn't great. Let's go with Otto. No, nah, Otto Schatz. What does he do? <laughs> well, you just. No. <laughs> Otto and Cohen, they have a bit of a, a, a confrontation, which if they were having a sort of, like, it sounds really gross to say, but like the romantic comedy arc. Yes. Which is like what they're kind of set up to have in this movie, which I don't like, I'm just saying. It happened. <laughs> That's kind of what you think is going to happen, and it, there's hints of it. I don't know how much that happens in the book, but the arc where they have their kind of they they're getting on and they're solving the murder and then they fight and rob Lindsay says um and he's and he's saying stuff like you couldn't even have dignity in death and um you should die as you lived as a third-rate jewish clown it's fucked up shit like powerful powerful lines but even when they have that fight in the movie they don't really let that happen because they're cutting between them talking and DC listening outside the door. So the scene is more about people realizing more that he's mad, more than about these two just real characters having this out. Yeah. And um, Cohen says, I, I didn't have a machine gun. All I had was my chutzpah. Like he's sort of explaining why he did what he did. Like those. I think it, it has... They're a, meaningful statements and they so should much. have been given the chance to be meaningful statements. And maybe yeah. in the book, that is how it's handled. Yeah, there's a lot of meaning sort of left on left on the table there. 
Because you can see them reading the book and being like, okay, this is a conversation we need to keep. We also need to have a conversation take place where Daniel Craig can hear it. Yeah. Then let's make them the same conversation. Yeah. Or just their focus was like, oh, it's all it's all sort of faulty towersy listening through keyholes and stuff. Like the important thing here isn't the the context of what they're talking about. Dense things these people are saying to each other. It's the development of the oh, oh he's gone crazy plot line. <laughs> and so I thought that was that was a Which is a plot line that we need that needs to be developed, but, but just not during that conversation. But that's in every scene. Like that actually got yeah. a little bit samey that every scene is just about him going crazy yeah but without really coming down another line of well is he crazy or not or is he crazy or is cohen a character we should be engaged with as no this person is still actually kind of here Mm. and this is a kind of afterlife that but he is now bound up with the person who ordered his death and so we need to resolve that somehow yeah and the synagogue scene I thought was kind of the same thing again. It almost made it to the point where this is a movie about these two people getting to know each other and overcoming their differences. Because this is now a former Nazi SS officer Mm. going into a synagogue and saying he's going to, and I don't know anything about this. He wants to give the prayers of the dead. Sing the prayers of the dead. Uh, so he's And I got the impression he's singing this specifically for Cohen. He did, yeah. Cohen's... The anniversary of Cohen's death. Yeah, and he, which they sort of mention in passing. Like I feel like that should be a that significant date yeah. in this movie. That this is the date that the thing that brought us together happened, um, and mm. they start sort of singing it. Cohen starts singing, and then you get to see Otto join in, and yeah. then Cohen leans in and out of shot, and then he leans out of shot, and he's gone, and it's Otto. Yeah singing the prayers of the dead and like and that's that should be really meaningful again yeah just wow this if we were in if this is if this was that challenging drama movie that's asking you to asking you whether you can consent to the rehumanization of this former ss officer yeah the scene where he is singing the prayers of the dead for a jewish person whose death he ordered in a synagogue. Would be so meaningful. And there were a few close-up shots of Robert Lindsay, who's doing proper acting, and this would just be the... And if you saw it as this massively cathartic moment for this character, that would be really powerful cinema. Yeah, except the whole scene then changes to a photographer sneaking into the synagogue, lining Mm. up, saying Otto's name. Otto turns around with a shocked look and gets a photo taken of him that is then immediately posted... In the newspaper. Yeah. So the, it seemed like the filmmakers, as far as they were concerned, the purpose of the scene is, oh, 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 He's losing his mind. step towards him losing his mind, which you could have it end that way, but if they'd... In a, in, if had a, if a, in a, I don't even want it to end that way. I would rather the film have been about... Or take that out, yeah. Yeah, it would have been... Just sink into it in a little more of a A24 kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> where you just let us have that moment. Just... It would have. I would have much rather the film be about attempting to humanize a person who's been such a terrible person. Yeah, and maybe failing. Like maybe we. Maybe it doesn't work at the end. That would be cool too. But, but because the, that film s- could still have Daniel Craig being who Daniel Craig is in this film. Yeah. Because I've never seen. I 
And I'm sh- again, I'm sure it's out there, but I've never seen a movie like that where it's like, okay, you were a Nazi, you did all like the worst things. Twenty years later, is there a path back for you? Yeah. To the only films that humanity are made or that you know of are films where the Nazis went into hiding and are still Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, and are just the worst people. Yeah. Did you watch many of them Amazon's were? Hunters? No. Is that that? It's that. That's that. It's about the the um. What was the project called? The one where NASA hired all of the ex-Nazi scientists oh, and hid yeah. them in America. And it's about a group of Jewish Jewish people in the seventies and survivors from the Holocaust and stuff hunting down Nazis in America wow. and finding them and murdering them. Man, I can't wait for Munich. It is bad as well. I'm so excited for Munich. I love Sugarna. Did you see Operation Finale? Finale. Yeah. It sounds familiar. I'm pretty sure it just came out on uh, Netflix. Obviously not a good sign. Okay. Um, but it's kind of the same thing where Ben Kingsley is a Nazi officer who was, I think it's a true story, and he was hiding out in South America somewhere. Oscar Isaac is like the lead of the, uh, I think that the, a Jewish group, like probably Israeli group going to get him. Bad. Bad film? Yeah. Oh. Which is insane considering all those ingredients. Ben Kingsley, Oscar Isaac. Ben Kingsley, Revenge Oscar plot. Isaac, Revenge Plot, going to capture a Nazi in South America. South America? I know, yeah. How is that cool bad? location. Their ability to make that story boring blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's really sad. It's one of the, if Spielberg had been in charge of it. We'd be talking about it for years. We would. But I just it would have been in black and white. The people in charge couldn't... People can't figure out in the moment what's cool and interesting about the story they're telling. That's my like On a lot of occasions. Movies. See, <laughs> that's, what, that's why... Off to- this is very off topic of what we're talking about. Films that are written and directed by the same person... Mm-hmm. Quite often, it's are a, much better films because you you write a story, and then you get to tell that story. I think it can go either way. I think written directed can be a red flag as well because no one's told them it's bad. But because if if someone's had a singular vision, that means their great vision has been perfectly realized, or it means their shit vision never got questioned. <laughs> so I I think I, absolutely, but I think it can go either way. Well. I was going down more the road of like Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright's the great example of when that works. It works so good. Absolutely. When he doesn't get told what to do. Yeah. And he gets to make a film. I found, I think it's more, my thing is more with sort of lower budget, more art housey movies. When I put it on and it's just rubbish, I always check and go, oh yeah, written directed. Yeah. You some, thought this was great. Some guy just had an idea and no one <laughs> it else... It feels like this person went... No one else was going to direct it. So went he to just film did school it. and then makes films now. Like, mm. didn't... Like, it feels like people don't pay their dues. It's just like, you went to film school because, and now you've you've been to film school. You can tell stories mm. instead of, like, yeah. watching other people tell stories and learning how to tell stories and then tell stories. Yeah. But, you know, also, get in the mix and have a go. That's what exactly. I say. 
you know, nothing wrong with it. If we made a movie, it would probably be awful. If you got, oh, I don't think it would be. I think we've seen enough movies. Well, we wouldn't think that. No, it wouldn't be. I think we could put enough references in a film to make it good. Yeah, enough callbacks. Yeah, because that's if what, you reference good enough story. good films, that's how a film gets good. We'll just if we'll just put ten setups and payoffs in it, and so no one can argue <laughs> that it's great. Bam, and we will not have Nazis. Just steer clear of it. Yep. Just for now, I yep. think, as well. Because it's easy to make a great film with Nazis in it. It's also easy to make a terrible film with Nazis in it. Yeah. It's like Nazis are, a, are have been a useful thing to... Com- it's like things can comment on a time when they're very different to that time. Mm-hmm. At a time when, like, we've had Nazis around quite recently... Yeah. It's just a little bit too literal to talk about Nazis yeah, it's, now. it's still a thing and it, it hurts that it's still a thing. When Nazis go away, then you can talk about Nazis and it's like a vantage point on the real world. But when they're... When, oh. Because they're not like the faceless enemy. Mm. There are still people out there who would do that sort of shit. Yeah, there's still people out there with that Diana Rigg cupboard. That's yes. Like breathing heavily. It's fucked up. Yeah. And right now it seems a lot more personal. Because, like, then it was a faceless... Well, even then it would have been personal. But for the films that were made on the after the fact where you use Nazis as your faceless enemy, then you just have this blanket of evil that was yeah. the Nazi. It becomes impersonal. You just have your evil be the villain. Mm-hmm. But now that they actually exist again, yeah, and it's still a thing, mm. it becomes then that this is a part of all of our lives again. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird how there's a therapeutic bandwidth of how different from the current time a movie subject has to be to be able to sort of comment on it. Yes, I was watching *The Five Bloods*. I haven't yet. It's on my list. This is a really interesting version of life to be looking at because they're black American Vietnam War veterans. One of them's a Trump supporter. Um, when's it set it's set now but with flashbacks to their time in vietnam okay but it's set now yeah okay and the flashbacks is them like chadwick boseman chadwick boseman is their commander who was in vietnam who died okay 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 okay, okay. and that's not a and so they're basically they're old dudes they're old dudes remembering their time in nam yeah okay and don't give it well give it away no No, i want to watch it i'm just going to say what Amazing Oscar-worthy performance by Delroy Lindo, whose train I've been on board since Gone in 60 Seconds. That long? Yeah. The classic Nicolas Cage film, Gone in 60 Seconds. I love Gone in 60 Seconds. (laughs) Yeah! When he puts that jacket on. That's one of those DVDs I had that just got run ragged. (laughs) Same, in our household all the time. And Delroy Lindo, I think, is... And he's in his, like... He's in his mid sixties. He gives this incredibly physical performance in *The Five Bloods*. Okay, and like, I don't think it's an. I think it has big problems overall as a movie. His performance, though, definitely Oscar worthy, and he's one of those actors who you feel like has just always been in that secondary role their whole lives, but just has so much vitality every time they're on the screen and is bringing so much. And you just wish, they, just you know, the opportunities don't line up sometimes. But he I needs think, his James Bond to happen. Yeah. But I think this is his. This is a really good example okay. of his performance. So, worth watching. I mean, it's on Netflix, so 
cost you nothing. Exactly. The other really good parts of Genghis Khan, I thought, which I did not expect to be saying, I have to say, <laughs> is um, the scene in the psychiatrist's office. Where he does the comedy. Yeah, and this, and this all sort of Jackson Pollock paintings. Oh, and it felt quite sort of Kubrickian to me. That's a different thing as well. When she re- recorded the comedy and he did the whole thing and got carried out. Yeah. And then pressed re- rewind. I thought she was about to press play and hear both voices. That would have been cool. And I'm like, okay, so this yeah. is when it's this is when we find out that Cohen yeah. is a physical manifestation. Yeah. Or, and then like or Rob or Otto has been saying his side of the conversation as well, but we haven't seen it somehow. Yeah. Or so that that's sort of the scene where Otto has sort of completely given up to the madness of Cohen's presence and he impersonates the ventriloquist doll that was Hitler at the start. Very of the well movie. done. Really great physical performance. Yeah. And, He's um, a good actor. And then he gets, re- and then afterwards, when he gets released from the asylum and he gets arrested by Daniel Craig momentarily and Cohen shows back up, they have that kind of warm romantic comedy reunion. Yeah, like, I missed you. And, um, he's saying, and he's saying to Cohen, You have to help me. I didn't understand you before your courage, your humor, things like that. But in that in that happening, where now he's been framed for a murder... Essentially, yeah. He asks Cohen to help me. The next scene we see is another murder take place. Mm. Are we meant to think that Cohen did that? And in that case, did Somehow. Cohen do all of them? Oh, that's an interesting reading. Because that's what happens straight after that. A murder takes place, and then he is released because a murder took place while he was in custody. And I missed a bit of it. They arrest someone for the murders eventually. They ended up arresting the um, basically the coroner. They released the police. Oh, yeah. They arrest the that police surgeon. Doctor guy. But on, on what evidence, though? On the evidence of the fact that all of the stabbings were pinpoint precise. Yeah. That it'd have to come from a surgeon. He knew that sort of stuff. And there's a little scene where he goes to Daniel Craig's character. I guess that clears Otto. And then hums for a little while. Like maniacally. As Daniel Craig walks away. And I'm like, <laughs> does Daniel Craig now just not like that guy so he arrested him? Never hum maniacally in front of the police. No. Rule one of murders. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Don't say the word yeah. bomb. And or the- hum. <laughs> <laughs> And the conclusion of the movie is a sort of a monologue from Cohen. Cohen, as he oh, there's still... a scene after where Cohen visits. Oh, he's sort of repeating the cycle with yeah. someone else. We see another dude reading the paper, saying that they've arrested the police surgeon, talking to his wife, and she's like, "You happy now?" And he goes, "Yeah." And they're like, "Oh, because we can make love without locking the windows and the doors." And then that man sees Cohen. And then realizes who Cohen is, and it turns out that this dude was the dude who fired the gun that was yeah. ordered by Otto. So it seems like Cohen is just going down the line of the yeah. people who've which makes which which I don't particularly. It like. just changes the tone of the film altogether that and makes him into makes it more of a horror movie vibe of his sort of like this getting his revenge for sort of working yeah yeah whereas. It, that's not what it's been the whole time. Yeah, and then he goes with that guy. And now to a shop, and Otto is now working in like a Yiddish shop. 
making Serving liver sandwiches, liver and, sandwiches, and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and seeming quite happy with him, with his and with seeming his happy. And then he gets beat up by some. It's kind of more anti-Semitics. Oh yeah, and then he gets yeah. So and called a Jew, and you just get to see how it begins. It begins yeah. with Cohen getting beaten up outside the club after doing his act, and now Otto gets beaten up outside of his shop for being Jewish by, I guess, some anti-Semitic people who are... Yeah, which is a cool parallel. S- still around in Germany somehow. Imagine it. Imagine it. I- imagine anti-Semitism. Still, still being a thing. Hard to imagine, but I guess so. And sad to imagine. Sad. Yeah. yeah. It is sad to imagine. Because um, it's not hard to imagine that it's still a thing. It's not hard. Because it is a thing. Yeah. Um, People are fucked up, man. They sure are. But when and then the when last... all of that was happening, and now Otto's working in that shop, then it just it it I struggle to. I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it, I could. But I struggle to read any clear meaning into it, and it felt more absurdist than anything. Yeah, the it felt ending more surreal, felt so strange, and intentionally weird. And I think that is kind of part of it, because I've been I. I was reading a little bit about the book. There's actually this like journal article I was reading, oh. like an analysis of the of the book. Want a name drop? Uh, well, I don't think there's any names worth. Okay, sorry, dropping. Patreon ain't gonna get any names. Oh, actually, I just, no sources for this material. I am gonna drop the name because oh. I just read the author's name. It's Eli Pfefferkorn. Pfefferkorn. Pfefferkorn begins with a P. P H. P F. Oh, Pfeff. Pfefferkorn. Pfefferkorn. Corn with a K. <laughs> Um, Hassan Pfeffer, and that's rabbit stew. What this was making, what, <laughs> <laughs> what watching this story and thinking about like going into this, I thought this is going to be rubbish and weird and a bad idea. And I think, whilst I think the movie makes some missteps, what it put me in mind of was something like you know Slaughterhouse Five. By Kurt Vonnegut. It sounds familiar. Or uh, Catch-22. Yep. So these stories about... They were they're about well, like World War Two, mm. but just the senseless horror that occurred during that time period. Yes. And making sense, quote-unquote, out of it through sort of surrealist, in the case of Slaughterhouse-Five, like science fiction-type stories. Okay. And that's that's kind of the genre in which this felt like it sat more inside. We're using farcical comedy as the only way to approach something this horrifying. I have a feel like this film would come across a lot better if it was made by somebody who makes those films, like the Coen Brothers. <laughs> you sure you're not just doing word association there? It just makes. And actually, though, definitely yes. I know what you mean. You know, they would, they would do this. There's that feel. They would do this brilliantly, actually. Exactly, because it's absurd, and they would yeah. make an absurd film. But they can relax into a completely dramatic storyline, exactly, as well, and just let moments sit, and let that relationship between Cohen and Otto develop and have meaning. Yeah, which I think this production didn't feel like it could do or didn't know how to navigate it. Thanks, BBC. Yeah. How's the film end? In this, I'll just say in this article, if I can extract the relevant parts of it now, 
Um, right, what's Eli got for us? What's the faff got? What's the pafaf? So this is talking about the novel, but he's talking. They're talking about the challenge of talking about something like the Holocaust, or depicting it, or just okay producing it in art. And uh, they have the sort of alarming phrase of Holocaust aesthetics. Um, I said the pertinent issues to the Ooh. Holocaust authentic or, or aesthetics concerning the inadequacy of the creative imagination coupled with the volatile quality of the word constitute new challenges to modern poetics. The ultimate challenge facing the artist is to find an appropriate metaphor through which to transfigure the documentary materials with an artistic design that will steer the imagination beyond the art form to the experience itself. To put it yet another way, the job at hand is to retain the brutal moment of terror the rampant madness and the prevailing chaos in an art form. And the author of this article contends that the novel was trying to do that. Trying? Sorry, for trying? Well, they thought it they thought it responds to that challenge. So okay. somehow through the I think the novel has a vaudevillian fast call feeling to it. Chaotic comedy to it that in a uh, obscure, not obs- in an oblique way, is able to capture something of the horror of the Holocaust. Mm. But I think, and I think that, written by a French person, you know, d- decades ago, that maybe captures a quality that drains away when expressed through the language of 1990s BBC television. Yes. <laughs> That's my overall take. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Um, the film then ends with a monologue delivered by Cohen as he basically lives through time, basically visiting everybody else who did terrible things to the Jews, I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, well, it's shown him... It's, it it's ends with him walking down just a street in what could be London... And yeah, being well, noticed by everybody. Everyone can see him. And he's made a bit of a thing throughout the movie of how he presents himself. Mm. That he's sometimes he doesn't have the Star of David. He All doesn't always holes. have his prison outfit on. Mm. But now he's got the prison. He's, he's looking how he would have looked when he died. He's got bullet holes in his shirt and things like that. So I don't know what that whether he's now taken on his sort of purest or final form or something. And... What does he say in that final scene? Because it's quite evocative. But it's basically about... It didn't stick with me. It's, a, it's about... I think it's about how, it's, how difficult it is to hold in your mind something like the horror of the Holocaust. Yeah. And how, you know, we try to imagine that it could never happen again. We try to hope that it could never happen again. Yeah. There's lots going on in this article. I will link it in the episode description about different allusions that are made in the novel. But I don't think there's anything that... I could talk about it, but I don't think it's present in the film. And I think that's part of the... We can... I think we can safely say the novel is probably a lot better than the movie in this case. I've got a very high opinion of the novel now, having not read it. Yeah. Mm. You know, you were saying... You were saying at one point that only the first two seasons of Community are good. I'm going to say first three. 
season three has got the... It's got the rising of Chang. It's got the rising of Chang. It's got the pillow fort versus blanket... Fluffy Town versus Blanketville, whatever. Town war. It's got the Law and Order episode. Classic community. You don't even get but the... But still, Dan Harmon was still there at that time. Yeah, you don't get the Dreamatorium till season three, which because I didn't realize. Don't you don't... Even, yeah. Subway is season three. Season three is golden. But then it falls to shit. I'm. I haven't told Emma any. Would Emma and I are doing the rewatch? Where are we at? First time. We're just into season four, and I haven't told Emma anything about the behind the scenes stuff to okay. see if she notices. Just the first episode. It feels so different. There's a plasticky feel to the whole mm-hmm. thing that is really uncomfortable. Yeah. But season three is great. Genghis Khan. Better than we thought. Yeah. Do we want to put it in the list? Yeah, we've got to put them all in the list. Okay. Will it be in the regular list as well? Uh, yeah, well, Sharp's Eagle is. Okay. It's going to be funny when we put Our Friends in the North as one of the best <laughs> movies. <laughs> well, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen but it But it might yet. be. But don't worry, patrons. But see if it is one of the best. We'll get more patrons. People want to listen. I don't think that's how that will work. Uh, people want to listen. It's going to be frustrating the other TV episodes we haven't seen, but that's all right. It, we, we, we're barely going to get all of this done. So maybe <laughs> when we finish, after No Time to Die comes out, we'll go back. We'll do Young Indi- we'll do Indiana Jones. We'll do all the Young Indiana Jones, Tales from the Crypt, all that stuff. <laughs> do we have to? We won't want to, will we? I don't think we'll want to at that point in time. Imagine what it's going to be like when we finish. We're going to see Daniel Craig and know Daniel Craig. Britain's best actor, Daniel Br- Craig. Yeah. We'll we'll know if he is. We'll be we'll be better placed than anyone. <laughs> We've probably seen more of his performances than he has because he doesn't like watching them. Would no. you like watching your own films? I don't think I would at all. I'd maybe once and then be like, oh, I would have done that so I, differently now. I'm so I want to watch his Bond movies so much, and it is a really <laughs> like a work an effort of will to not watch them because I'm not going to watch them until we get they to that point. They keep coming up on my Netflix. I'm like, oh, yes, but no. Mm. It's going to be an epic couple of weeks because like, one week is Skyfall and the next week is Spectre. Like, those are the two <laughs> movies. Like, like, we're plowing through all of this and then suddenly it's going to be Munich, Casino Royale. <laughs> Defiance. Okay, all right. Okay, so this is the 15th movie. Okay, okay, okay. Better than Obsession. Yes. Better than Love and Rage. Yes. Kid and King Arthur's Court. Yes. I Dreamed of Africa. Yes. Hotel Splendide. Yes. Lara Croft. Yes. Sharp's Eagle. Yes. Oh, yeah? Techno. Yeah. It's got a lot more going on in it. It does. And it's confusing because it. I. it's probably not good but it's so much better than we thought it was going to be from the pitch. Definitely, definitely. I want to put it just above Sharp's Eagle. So below the mother. Oh, but I hated that so much. No, it's not about hate. I don't... Well, it's not It's not better than the mother. It's not, is it? No, no. It's more ambitious. Yep. It's more, it's more out there, but... Ambitious and technically, well... I think for a lot of the world, more palatable than the mother. I think it's got to be below Sharp's Eagle. Yeah? Yeah. No Sean Bean in this. No. We get some good DC. No Sean Bean teaching people to spit a bullet into a gun. 
And I think it's about... How good was Sharp's Eagle? It's pretty great. Yeah, it was great. I'm looking at it, I'm like, why is that so low? <laughs> Eighth? Um, okay. So we'll put this below Sharp's Eagle? Yeah, yeah. All right. We don't need to explain the ranking system to the patrons. They know what's up. Yeah, definitely. What's up, guys? How you doing? Oh, that's good. If you want to let us know how you're going, send us an email. <laughs> I was just going to have a one-sided conversation that they can reply to on their own end. No, you, they have to. That's the next tier of patron. Ask me something. That's seven dollars a month, and you get a one-sided conversation <laughs> with Isaac that he records and sends through. <laughs> Genghis Khan ninth. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. What's next? All the actors are so good. In Genghis Khan. Yeah. Most of the actors are so good. Everyone else is just BBC. There are a few bit players who are like, yeah, whatever. But all the main ones. All the main ones did a good job. Like Anthony Sher playing Cone. You could just tell he's he's just been in the Royal Shakespeare Company his whole life. And is just. And like that he purposely did terrible comedy at the start. Great. I would have liked some cutting back to that. When there's the shot of him, I, you know, comedians, when they fail, they die. They say, I died. I've died in the main cities all over Europe. Where I actually died. And then it cuts to the... That's real good. That was amazing. I loved it. And we just, I think they needed to recapture that tone. Like that needed to be, that needed to be the baseline. Yeah, that needed to be the feel at least several other times. That we come back to. Like when the frivolity falls away. That's what's going on. Perfervolity. Yeah, the perfervolity. But the fact that we never come back to that tone, I think that's what disappointed me. That's what puts it below, you know, a work of genius like Sharp's Eagle. Exactly, but the best sets ever. Great sets. What a beautiful bridge. That's why Sharp's Eagle was so low. They couldn't spend enough money making it look good. Love that bridge. You leave that beautiful bridge alone. (laughs) That... Shitty scaffold that they built in somebody's backyard. Someone's friend who has a dam. Probably Sean Bean's backyard. <laughs> Did anyone here have a pond? A large pond? Yeah, on the est- up on the estate. All right. One does not simply walk into the estate. <laughs> you build a shitty bridge and blow it up. Good times. Okay. I think we got it. Me too. Um, We've captured the necessary things. Everyone here probably already knows. Twitter, exceptional pod. Instagram, <laughs> exceptional I don't feeds. think we need to do this for the I'm S episodes. underscore Brookfield on Twitter. Samuel Brookfield on Instagram. Isaac Tibbs, two A's, two B's on Instagram. Yep, that'll be in the episode subtitles anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Doesn't need to be. Or send us an email at exceptionalthieves at gmail.com. Stated on the um, Patreon episodes. You know what is insane? Us. Yes. I'm, I'm low-key... Doing starting another podcast. <laughs> What's it about? But I'm very. Do you want to ex- let the Patreon people know about it, or yeah. is it a surprise? Well, yeah, yeah. No, this can be a, a, an early announcement. Okay. Because no one will hear it. Because yeah, no one will hear <laughs> it. I am, um, especially at the end of the episode. So, because I don't, you know Taylor. I know Taylor. I know of Taylor. So he's wanted to do a podcast for quite a long time. Okay. And I've just been like, yeah, man, just fucking do it. It's n- clearly not hard. Um. <laughs> And his thing is like movies that are bad. Okay. But he loves them. 
Sharknado, Sharktopus. Kind of, but more 80s Gatoroid. Oh, nice. Yeah. The, the, the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that, but it sounds like the kind of thing. So, but he, was, he just wants to use all of my equipment for it. Understandable. So, understandable. Isaac, you and I are now producers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a podcast channel. So, yeah. So now Exceptional Thieves is becoming like a parent company. Okay. And we have Craigslist. And it's now going. To, it's also going to be exceptional. Thieves present so bad it's good with Taylor Woods. Okay, fun name, right? It is a good name, and I'm not going to do any research for it. Good. And whenever we do it, it's going to be a movie that I know nothing about that he has researched, and then we sit good. down and talk about that. I like it. Which obviously would be great to have you on as well, but we are going to be seeing a lot of each other anyway. I've no idea when I'm going to have time to do this. Especially now, what I've realised the recording schedule is for this is more important. This oh, this is number. This is probably number one for all Taylor knows because he won't hear this. Yeah, he can go fuck himself. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that bitch better not be stepping on my time, on my Sam time. I'm enjoying how committed you are getting to this project. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna twenty more weeks. We have to see each other. At least once a week for 20 <laughs> weeks. That's... And not just see each other, record like hours and hours of this. It doesn't have to be as long as we make it. I'm starting to get stressed <laughs> about how much of me talking is just on the internet. Yeah. It's starting it's to get It's already weird. been a lot. Like, it is already a lot. If you look back at it now, there's a lot yeah, of it out there. Yeah. I definitely need to drink less. <laughs> Because then I get much more sweary and and sort of emotional as I did during the mother, the daughter. I'm like, fuck her. This, you know, and you know what else is another thing. I just got really triggered about the whole thing. So definitely to do that. They were such terrible characters. They were terrible characters. And we just watched a film about Nazis. Yeah, think about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. We just watched a film about Nazis and we're like, you know what? You know, everyone has It did a depths. good job trying to get us to make us make make us like this person yeah but the mother did a great job of getting us to hate regular people yeah well the easy way to make a nazi seem likable is never have them do anything bad on screen Mm. and have them be english and then have have them not have a german accent have them not have a german accent Mm. and have concentration camp not survivors victims explicitly forgive and try to save them i don't like that so i think that's why yeah it should be below sharp c it should definitely be below sharp c because i don't think it quite realizes what it's doing (laughs) or what it's trying to do cool all right but daniel you did a great job daniel fucking nailed it i'm so excited for you to be on the podcast done that would be uh, if you if you if you saw this as a casting agent back in the day you'd be like man man that one guy who wasn't a nazi He'd make a great Nazi. He did so... <laughs> he just has so much gravitas in a small Did you role. see when he sat down in that chair and like... Mm. Mm, into it? Inten- intensity of his eyes as well. That's so know? blue. He had so much intensity in it, in every every little scene. That's what he was doing back then. That's what he was doing in The Power of One, you know? Just in the background of scenes. Always acting. He is on. He's always on. Mm. Yeah. Daniel Craig... Is never off. I'm very excited to see if and when he announces his next movie. And I bet it won't be for fucking ages. I hope it's not. I hope what? he just gets to have a little break. I, if I was settle him, into 
post bond life. Yeah, I'd be having an eighteen month, you know, bond. Retirement. I would make five films in that eighteen months, but just like they're all indies, so they don't come out for four years after the fact that they because yeah. no one got funding to to actually put them out there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and then like. He yeah. keeps five, working. Five different accents. Yeah, keeps working afterwards, but you don't get to see him for four years or so. That way he never has to stop working because he loves, he loves the work. He does love the work. He does love the work. But he hasn't loved Bond. No, because it's not the work. A lot of it isn't. Mm. I think it was to begin with. I think that first film was definitely the work. But then it's hard to keep making it the work because there's... Mm. You can move a bit in that role, but you can't do that much. No. Like, there are... Maybe maybe the next one. Maybe the next one. Maybe the next one will allow the work to come through and not just be fucking Quantum of Solace. Because he paved the way. He did. I mean, the next Bond film might be a bit of the work. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I'm hoping. Well, I'm hoping well, you yeah. got a good time. Because they can burn the house down because it's his last one. So Bam. And whatever. Rami Malek. Yeah. Rami Malek. Who's like a foot shorter than Daniel Craig. That's imposing. Yeah. He'll, be, he'll wear heels for the film. <laughs> Platforms. He's always on a step. He's but it's on... not hidden. It's shown that he's always <laughs> on a step. He's always on a Segway. <laughs> ah, Mr. Bond. We meet again. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Backs away. Walk this way, Mr. Bond. Ooh. No, Mr. Bond, I want you to ride. <laughs> get on this much lower Segway <laughs> next to me. Bond gets a bloody lick at Mecca. Get on this micro scooter. <laughs> no one walks around here. This is Wheel Town. <laughs> it's, is it Wheel? What? It's so Wheel. Who? Is it? Oh, wow. <laughs> should we stop? Yeah, we should have stopped 10 minutes ago. All right. Well, that was a little extra 10 minutes for all the patrons out there. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks, guys. Thanks. Um, yeah. Unedited. Um, yeah. Raw. <laughs> thanks, for li- thanks for listening. To, to Exceptional to- Thieves Raw present Ra- Craigslist. Raw and up late. <laughs> we just keep talking when we should have stopped. What would happen if we just kept going? If let's say so okay, now we just set the rule. Okay, we have to talk for another hour. What would we be doing in an hour's time? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to start off talking about? We'd be like, you know, people don't realize that the British do want to go the for concentration a camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people do realize that, but I also want to point yeah, out that the like, British probably did not invent it. It probably got invented thousands of years before by the Egyptians. They did invent a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like aliens. And like being terrible people. I don't know if that was their thing originally, but they definitely but they, 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 they definitely took it to new levels. They brought it into the modern market. They were so awful, <laughs> they made pyramids. Like imagine being so awful, you made pyramids out of it. Oh my God. <laughs> this is funny to no one but us. All right. no one's going to hear it. Not for that reason, even if they did. You know, I listen to some podcast. I've realized the thing with podcasts is I only, you only like listening to them if you kind of like the people that are doing it. Like, it's very personal in yeah. a way from my, the way I listen to them. So I listen to some podcasts and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can imagine getting on with these people. I like how the way they talk. I listen to them talk. And some, some of them, you put them on. There's nothing that terrible about it, but I'm just like, oh, these 
people think they're so funny. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, that's what we sound like, isn't it? I don't know if it is. I think I, I, to some people, to some, to people, some people, we it would, definitely be would be like five minutes of us and they would be climbing the walls. <laughs> And you know what? We don't need them. So that's worth thinking about. That if no one listens to this, it's not just—it's not just that like our content is bad per se. It's that they don't like us on a really personal level. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not that what we do is bad. It's that we are bad. Yeah, I don't just not like your podcast. You sound like a shit person. <laughs> so I don't want to be in your presence, even through an audio format. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You have a voice for silence. Yeah. 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 You got to. <laughs> A vo- yeah, a voice for journalism. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Fef. Perfef. Perfef. Hassan Perfef. Craig Pfefferdors. <laughs> Someone there? No. We'll workshop that for next time. No, we won't.